Hello, strong, feisty women. Some of you may recognize my voice. I'm Celine Yeager, host of the Hip Play Not Pause podcast. Throughout my career as a professional health and fitness writer and now a podcaster, I hear countless questions from women who are trying to understand how their ever-changing hormones impact their sports performance. So we decided to serve up some answers in a brand new series called Hormonal that we will be releasing on the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast feed. Throughout this four-part series, reproductive endocrinologist Dr. Carla DiGirolamo and I will be tackling topics like periods, the pill, pregnancy, and conditions like PCOS, all from the perspective of sports performance. If you aren't already, follow the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast and stay tuned for our first episode releasing on April 15th. Also, have questions you want answered? Send us a voice note at speakpipe.com slash hormonal and we'll get it answered on the show. You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. So I have a question for you. Wow. That was jumping right in. What is it? Have you done any leaf peeping this fall? Leaf peeping? Yeah. What? You don't know what that is? What you're saying? Is that like when you peep out of leaves? Like you Are jump you out being of serious? I'm being serious. It's when you go look at the fall colors. Um, that's on what the trees. Called it in the south. It was well leaf- that the leafing. Okay. Have you done any leafing? <laughs> I'm like picturing people peeping through trees. No, you go peep the leaves. You go look at the leaves. Why would you peep them and not just look at oh them? Oh my God, Catherine, people call it that. <laughs> here we here we go. Like you got to comment on this one. <laughs> Have you been leaf peeping? This is definitely going to make it in the video portion of the <laughs> Catherine doesn't know what that is. I don't know what leaf peeping is. Well, now you do. So have you been? Uh, well, I leaf when I walk around my neighborhood and the there trees you go. <laughs> there's a tree outside your window and it's green though so yeah that one is not gonna go it doesn't that one just goes brown but no. um just around the corner there's one that's like there's two like maples like sugar maples that are side by side and one of them is on fire like it's all gone and it's like all bright orange and like it's all turned it's all it's all leaf peepy and the one right behind it is just starting. And it's kind of, it's kind of cool to like go, like I put that on my walk or run every morning just to go see the changes. I, sh- I wish I would have thought about like time-lapsing it. Oh, you should have. I know, but I didn't think of that until, and but right now I just thought of that. Too late. Too late. There's some pretty spectacular trees that are turning here. Mm-hmm. So it, it's getting to be really pretty and we've had perfect fall weather. Like they say, typically it's kind of rainy in October, but it's not rained at all. Um, it's going to start next week, but, um, but I'm excited because I think Bentonville will have some good leaf. Oh, I think Bentonville, when we were down there two weeks ago, I was like, Oh, it's going to be a good show. This, this big sugar. So, yeah. so we'll yeah, in fact, I should go get my nails done. I was thinking about doing them in the plum color of the logo. 
Oh, look I at never you. do that, but How fancy you are. It'd be a fancy moment. <laughs> I'm just going to be happy if I make it to Benville. With You'll make it. I, no, with everything I need, just because I know like packing, packing a bike and all the stuff for a bike is a lot, but it also is when you're doing media coverage. There's just like a lot of little things that I'm like, yeah, where did I put that last time? That? I should look for those road microphones. I should bring those down. Those yeah. things are great. I gotta, I gotta go digging for all my equipment. Cause I, last time we did it, like all the stuff was, um, I, I'm bound, but I've moved since then. So put things in a very strategic place that I don't know where they are. I know I did the same thing because I moved since then. So, um, I think I know right where they're at, but anyway, I'll look for them tomorrow. So have you been following any of the special G, the gravel camp that, uh, yeah, I saw some of the, the Serena, um, Gordon. Gordon. Yeah. I saw some of the posts and they looked amazing. And I actually, so she lives in Bend and I was in Bend last weekend. Oh yeah, that's right. I was trying to get together with her, but she was doing the camp. Yeah. So, um, I did, I didn't take my bike. Um, but I carry who's our podcast producer and I went and did some hikes in an area that I was like, you know what would be perfect here in this little area is a gravel festival. Nice. So I don't know. I think Bend, I think Bend could be an, a, a place for when we expand our gravel festivals. It won't be next year. <laughs> um, well, especially if you're right there. So it makes sense. Yeah. It's about five hours away. Uh, not bad. It's not bad at all. And it's such a cool little city. Yeah. Kind of all the same things that they have in Pentonville that we loved. So cool. Awesome. But Serena Bishop Gordon. Serena Gordon is our podcast guest. Well, that's a nice intro. <laughs> I know. Wasn't that convenient? <laughs> Folks, after two and a half years, more than 100 episodes, we're nailing We can it. make a transition. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's like, that actually wasn't that good of a transition. It was a terrible transition. But we'll, give you, we'll, give you, we'll give you four stars for an effort. <laughs> I like how you like brought it all the way around, though. That was That was nice. Thanks. Well, uh, okay. I'm going to see you right after this podcast comes out. So I'll see you in Bentonville next week. And if folks are there, come find us. We're easy to find. We're the ones wandering around with microphones. Yes. Um, Christy might be working some other stuff. Yeah, I'll be working some stuff. I get to do the USADA drug testing stuff on Saturday. (laughs) Are you going to like walk people to pee? I, no, I don't have to chaperone, but I'm, I'm the liaison between the USADA rep and the chaperones and the athletes. So, okay. I will say the USADA rep at Unbound was everything I thought a USADA rep would be. I don't know what that means. <laughs> she had her polo shirt. Oh yeah. And she had her clipboard and no smiles. She had no, no smiles. There's, it is not a friendly moment. It is, it is all business and that's exactly the way it should be. Which speaking of, I put a reel up last week. We are like, this is the longest intro, but it was, uh, one of the women that won one of the stages of the tour. I forgot, forget which one finishing a race. Oh yeah. 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 That. Yep. Mm -hmm. And the official, which somebody said, Oh, that's the USADA tester. If you haven't seen the reel, go watch it. It's on the Instagram. He does not stop touching her. 
and she's like trying to push him away. And people were like, well, he's just doing his, like, I, I was astonished, astonished by the number of people that sent me a message and were like, he's just doing his job. And I'm like, his job is not to touch her. Like they just have to keep the athlete with an eyesight. Yeah. And he would not stop touching her. And it was obvious she didn't. I was like, that is actually called sexual harassment. Yeah. It was, it was weird. Cause like that, my first call, my first thought was he's trying to move her over to where he needs her to be for this testing. But then he kept doing it. Like I could see going up and being like, you know, cause you know what it's like in those finish lines, people are all over you. And, and his job right then and there is to make sure that the interaction has stopped. So there can't be any funny business. How many slips are pee? I, I mean, that's what, that's what they're there for. You know, um, I'm not saying that she did that, but I'm like, that's, that's literally that person's job in that moment. So I was like, but he, I, but my point, my point was, is like the first touch I could be like, I could see him like tr- getting her attention and whatnot, but then it was kind of like, okay, that's, she's told you not. And that she's going and she's obviously going. So stop. Like, that's when you can stop. Well, of course I went and looked up the rules then. And I was like, it, it actually just says you have to be, you have to observe the person the entire time. It doesn't say how close you have to be to them. It definitely doesn't say anything about touching them. Right. Right. And he would not stop touching her. And it was obvious that she was not having it. Yeah. To stop touching her. So, yeah. but also the other, the other thing that was interesting was several pro women were like, I hate this stuff. And I was like, this is their experience when they race, especially in Europe. Right. And I think, I mean, to me, that was the bigger thing, right. Was the fact that she understood what was happening and had it and was going to knew what was expected of her and was laying the groundwork. And from my perspective, kudos to her for continually telling him stop versus allowing it to continue because you're just like, this is part of the process. I mean, that's, you know, that's the, the flip side of that is I'm like, I hate to say that it's our job to tell people to not touch us, but, you know, cause it should just be an inherent thing, but let's face it. It's not. So then at some point, the fact that she was willing to just be like, get your hands off me is the appropriate response um, from her. Uh, so I know that sounds weird saying good on you for doing that. Cause it shouldn't have to be done. But at the same time, I'm like, that's how you start changing things is like raising the awareness and telling the guy to stop touching me. So don't touch anybody, Christine. I mean, you can give him a hug, but don't touch. <laughs> I don't have, I, yeah, I'm good. So, <laughs> all right, well, we're going to get on. If you haven't seen the real, go watch it. It's very cringeworthy. And then um, it's very cringeworthy. Go check it out. That's like if you farted in the elevator and you're like, Oh, I farted. And everybody like takes a whiff. Like, wait, no, don't smell that. <laughs> like, it's cringeworthy. Well, it's cringeworthy. And also I think it's important to understand the reality of yeah. things that female cyclists have to deal with when they're racing at that level. Um, yeah, for sure. So, uh, and to, and to know why it's important to support them, but we're going to get on to our interview with Serena, which I'm sh- I don't remember anything about touching in that whole interview. So you should be good from here on out. Okay. Christy, if you have $50 million, you can buy our today's guest background. <laughs> oh, 100% I'm in. 
Okay, well, so and we can crowdsource this right now because we've got such a huge audience. We're gonna have fifty million, <laughs> or maybe five hundred dollars, maybe five hundred dollars. <laughs> Every little bit helps. Exactly. That would be a pretty amazing um, outcome of this podcast if we could raise fifty million dollars. <laughs> oh man, that's a challenge that normally I would step up to, but I'm like, that's a big one. I don't know if I've got that in me right now. <laughs> Okay, if people are like, what are you all talking about? We have Sarita Gordon on today. And uh, she came with like this beautiful background. She's in Bend, Oregon. And we were like, oh, that's a beautiful background. And then Serena, you could tell the story from there. Um, so the background that I have on my Zoom is of Skyline Forest, which is currently a privately held parcel of land that connects Bend to Sisters, Oregon. Um, and there is a mo- community movement to buy it and then bring it into the community so it'll be open for public access in perpetuity. Currently it's open for gravel riding and mushroom foraging and running uh, most of the year because the landowner is generous. Um, However, that landowner could change. There could be development and um, that would remove access to the public and really uh, be detrimental to the awesome gravel riding that we have here in bed. So um, if anyone has $50 million, they want to loan me for like five years as a bridge loan, we can pay you back uh, at zero interest. <laughs> so you just let me know. <laughs> this is a hell of a deal, folks. <laughs> $50 million. <laughs> But you, I bet you, I bet you money that Serena would ride with you just about any time you wanted if you lost. <laughs> Call her up, one hundred percent. There are a lot of like uh, gravel pros in Bend. I bet we could like crowd that. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a it's a place that a lot of people think is public land, and then when they realize that it's not because it butts up to national forests, they're like, "Well, what?" And so, um, among other things, that's one of my passion projects to educate people about this landscape and, and that it is a threat that it could be locked and and developed. And so, um, among other things, it's something I'm really passionate about. Hence why it's my background. How many Uh, acres is it? It's a great question. I am going to mess it up. It's about 30 miles long and about 10 miles wide. I should know the answer, but if I say it and I'm incorrect, then I'm going to feel silly so well that's a good enough reference so yeah yeah and there's beautiful mountains in the backgrounds 50 million dollars folks yeah give or take (laughs) okay well uh speaking of other things you're passionate about tell us how you got into cycling like we always kind of start getting people's stories of how they got into the bike yeah that's a great question um I never really planned to be a bike racer or cyclist I was uh, a runner an ultra runner before ultra running was really cool And at the time I was in my twenties and I hung out with people that were like in their forties and fifties. And, um, I thought they were kind of old and now I'm in my forties and I don't think I'm old at all, but anyway, um, it's funny how that happens, right? Your perspective changes. Um, and so my husband and I moved to Bend in 2006 and for anyone who lives here now, they're going to think I'm crazy when I say there really wasn't much of a running community. Um, I just couldn't find people to to run with and explore with. But some um, people that I met said, hey, come to the cyclocross race. You'll really, you'll really like it. I had no idea what cyclocross was. They lent me a bike. And on a Thursday night, I went down to the, the local race and rode around in circles and um, really had a great time and just got sucked into the community and the culture of cyclocross and raced that whole fall and then decided, well, maybe I should run less and ride my bike more and started road racing a little bit and um, 
didn't find a ton of, I wasn't on a team and I always felt like, oh, I'm one in a swarm of people who are part of something bigger and, and then realized that I should probably work on my handling skills. So started riding mountain bikes and that just sort of snowballed into taking over my life in a, in a really positive way. And, um, a really good friend of mine who, who was a mentor, um, to this day said to me, Oh, you're getting, you're, you're contracting bike disease. There's no cure. And that was kind of the beginning of the end of my relationship with cycling. Um, yeah, I just started racing and, um, that was when I didn't, I did not start riding bikes really till I was 30. And, um, and then, you know, started in, as an age grouper and then, um, just kind of moved up from there and yeah, still, still kicking. I like that contracting bike disease. <laughs> <laughs> We've all sounds way it. better than COVID. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. It's better. It's a better thing to spread. Um, and then how long have you been racing for live? Because you're on, uh, you're with live. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been racing with live and for live in some capacity for, uh, about just over 10 years. So wow. orig- yeah, originally really before live was live when live was sort of a idea of giant. And, uh, it, when it was actually live giant, the bikes were still branded giant, but live, um, which is over 10 years ago. And, um, then rode for the factory team or the co-factory team and then the factory team and then live racing evolved. Um, and two years ago, uh, was asked to be on the collective, which is more of a very well-supported privateer program. So kind of things have evolved obviously with the brand and with my relationship with them. And, uh, but it's been such a great journey to see, see the people behind the brand elevate, uh, the reach and the voice and, and the product also, um, over the last, oh well, yeah, decade. That's a long time. What do you think the driving factor for, for them has been? In ge- for the brand in general? And yeah, especially, especially with, with furthering the live development. Yeah. I think a lot of brands dabbled in making women's specific bikes or bike lines and live was committed to making women's bikes from the very beginning. And they never really deviated from that. And other brands have come in and gone out sort of with trends. And I think what Liv wanted to do is they saw a space, 50% of give or take the population is female. And there wasn't a brand or a voice dedicated to women in, in, in the sport and in this space. And so, of course, we want to sell bikes and we want people to ride Liv. But more than that, we just want more women to ride bikes. And if we have a, more women riding bikes, then the entire pie gets bigger. And then everybody's slice of the pie gets bigger. And so I really think it was about creating community and a space and a product that made people feel, made women feel welcome, um, made them feel like this is made for you. Whether you buy the live bike or you are part of the live community in some other way, um, it's really about a family uh, and a, a welcoming community. And I was just talking to some folks that were down at Rome uh, Fest the other weekend and just, I was so, I was so excited about what's going on and not just women, women cycling, but just like bringing a more diverse group of people into cycling. And um, I think Liv has done a really good job of um, doing that consistently over the years and being really true um, to their focus and the people that they want to connect with. I mean, I hate, I hate using this word because I think it gets overused, but 
the perception that I've always had with Liv is it's incredibly authentic. It's, it really is about getting more women on bikes and Hey, yeah, if it's our bike, that's great. But really it's more of the celebration of, of just, of just bikes. I, I totally agree with you. And I think some actually had someone say, Oh, do all live bike? do all women fit on live bikes better? Absolutely not. They don't. Some, some women want to, you know, they get on a live bike and they're like, Oh my gosh, this is home. This is the bike I want. And some people get on a different brand and they're like, this is home. I don't care. Just buy a bike and ride it and have fun and create um, relationships and memories that you're going to carry with you forever. And um, I think too often brands think short-term companies think short-term what's our quarterly sales. What's our annual sales. And it's like, we need to think long-term. We need to think about developing lifelong cyclists. And if you can create loyalty and awareness around an activity that obviously includes live as a brand, we need to sell, we need to sell bikes. We need to be in the public space, but if you can create a loyalty to an activity, again, just increases the number of people that are going to buy bikes. And then the whole industry benefits, everyone involved benefits. If we can get more people, more women on bicycles. And, um, I think that's the goal at the, at the end of the day, what can we do to elevate this space for everybody? Wow. It's amazing. They get that because like you said, so many brands are very short-term focused. Like I found that when I worked kind of in this, that space in triathlon and it would just be like pulling teeth to get any marketing collateral that was anything, but all the guys. And then the one token woman that was this, you know, very skinny, like doesn't look like anybody I know woman riding her bike with the guys. Um, (laughs) I was just like, but the majority of the people that walk into our store looking for stuff are women and you're, you're not marketing to them at all. Yeah. And I think also, and I've been with a brand for a really long time and I think that is a testament to their authentic commitment to their athletes and the relationships they build. And I feel really fortunate to have walked into a space um, that invested in me and that I could invest in the brand and the people. And yeah, it's, it's, it's been a journey I didn't expect and it feels good to be able to like represent something that I'm proud of. I don't think that that's the case for everyone. They seem to care more about the story with their athletes sometimes than the results. Not that you all don't care about right, but like the people, everybody I've met with Liv or even knowing like Aisha McGowan is with Liv and like, that's kind of a risk, you know, with her results when she was first starting in that pro cycling world. Um, that it's more about like, what's the story and how can we come alongside that story? Well, we're real people and the people that we're trying to market to and talk to and bring into the, the community are real people. And I think telling stories about the good and the bad is really powerful. And um, I've seen that in my own journey this summer. I've been dealing with some back stuff and it was really hard for me to admit that to anyone. I mean, I, I knew it, but I, to say it out loud, to, to make it real was so scary. And, um, my, but my PT was like, Serena, you need to talk about this. You need to tell, don't be afraid to, to be vulnerable and to talk about it. And the amount of support, the amount of connection I made, I made 
um, especially through social media and like people reaching out and saying, oh my gosh, I've struggled with this for so long and um, sharing ideas and feedback and, and knowing that this is a, a place in time and it doesn't have to be the end of my, my racing. It doesn't have to be the end of my enjoyment of on a bike and, and knowing other people who had sort of made it through and then also helping to show people that they too can, can get to the other side and see improvement um, has been, has been a really interesting yeah, story for myself because you think, oh, if you put yourself out there, people are going to think less of you or think that you're weak or think that you aren't mentally tough enough. And then you're like, you can be as mentally tough as you want, but at some point you can only push so far and, and talking about that and being honest and open about it. I think it relieves a lot of stress and pressure yeah. for one. <laughs> and all of a sudden I was like, oh, I'm not alone in this. This is amazing. There is a community of people that are all like, struggle with the same or similar thing. And I had other pros who were like, Serena, I'm dealing with that same thing. I don't know what to do about it. And then being able to chat with them sort of peer to peer has been also really powerful. So. Well, now you have to tell us what the thing is. Oh, <laughs> well, I've had, I've had a back, some back issues um, for a while, for a long time, actually. And about a year and a half ago, I started doing some pretty intensive PT and everything that I, I learned was you need a stronger core, just work on your core, get stronger. And I did, and, and you need to have very good posture on the bike. And after about a year of doing this particular route in regards to this is what's going to help you overcome this pain, which is limiting and um, disallowing you to really like have your best performances on the bike. Um, after Oregon trail this year, I was like, I'll try anything. Oh, I'm, I'm buying crystals. I'm like doing anything and everything that's going to help. And I started chatting with a new, new practitioner. Um, and I sat in his office my first three times and he never touched my back, like physical therapist. He never touched my back. He never touched my legs. He just talked to me about, um, the interplay between environmental, like social, psychological, and physical aspects of pain. And there are a ton of great resources out there. I'm certainly not an expert. But what I've learned is those three elements combined um, to allow you to experience pain. And the more stress you have in your life, the more apt you are to experience pain. You, you train your neurological pathways to expect certain behaviors and outcomes based on activities. And so, oh, at 90 minutes into every ride, my back starts hurting. Yep. 90 minutes in my back starts hurting. And then you're like, Oh my God, my back hurts. And then what happens? You get stressed out. And so it tightens up more. And, and, and so kind of untangling and unweaving where this pain is coming from and realizing that it has to do with other elements than this, like my physical position on the bike was really powerful. And then the other piece is I started doing something called Feldenkrais which is a movement practice that rewires your neurological pathways. So it's like we create movement habits and patterns through our lives. And this is the idea behind this is that you're retraining those. And um, it's a very slow, deliberate, not trying hard kind of movement pattern exercise. And um, it's amazing. If you haven't done it, look it up. So my back is not fixed. It's t takes a lot of maintenance every day, 
but um, it's, I, at the last best ride, that was sort of like, okay, I'm going to do last best ride. I'm going to see how we feel. And I was very conservative because I was nervous that my back was going to tighten up. And then I finished the race and I was like, oh my gosh, my back doesn't hurt. And then we did RPI and I was like, this is amazing. And I just got home from doing a, doing a workout. Like, oh, I didn't even think about my back. So it's, it's not gone, but it's, uh, yeah. I'm totally rambling about my back. Well, it's, it's, I think, I think all of what you're saying is so interesting because you think about the fact, I don't think we give enough credit to the, to the factors of what mind and movement and all of those things play into like the whole, the whole life part of it. And Mm -hmm. it sounds like you're, you know, working on making those connections and, and, you know, circuiting around certain triggers, which. Yeah. We only have so much space in our cup and I juggle a lot of things in my life. And when that cup overflows, like that stress has to go somewhere. And for me, you know, so yeah, you're totally right. Like figuring out what those patterns are, how to respond rather react to triggers. And um, that's something obviously like from a physical standpoint is great, but it also has a lot of advantages in other parts of my life. (laughs) Exactly. Right. I just think you said something about how your back, you have to work on your back every single day. And I was like talking through some stuff with my husband going, literally our health has become our job. (laughs) Like all of the things that you took for granted when you were younger and being able to not have to do this or not worry about that. Now it's like, nope, it is literally become my job to make sure that I'm staying healthy by doing all of these little things. I'm like, it's a bummer that you know, we don't really start understanding that until we're older, but I'm also super grateful that I'm aware so that yeah. I can age more gracefully. <laughs> well, I think we, we also, we have a choice. Like we're at a point in our lives where we can say, well, it's too hard or I'm getting older. So I'm going to slow down whatever. Or we can say, heck no. We're going to figure out what are the things that we need to do to support the lifestyle that we want to have. And I want to be riding my bike for my entire life. And yeah, it's like prioritizing those things that before we didn't prioritize. And yeah, 30 minutes less of actual riding because you're spending that 30 minutes in the gym or doing a movement practice or doing a mental practice. Like that's time well spent because over the long term, you're going to be in a better spot. Yeah. That makes sense. I do. I just listened to one of rituals podcasts, um, which sometimes I get a little out there and I'm like, what? But it was the whole thing was like kind of that along that lines of your, the body keeps score. It wasn't the author of that book, but that same, like how trauma impacts your body. And a lot of like the things that we hold in our body are from like hurts or traumas or it's just even like practices like slowing down, breathing, like having a meditative practice or just a, you know, shutting our minds off, like giving, giving ourselves a break throughout the day to just like think about nothing instead of like next thing, next thing, next thing. Um, that all those things can actually do a lot with pain management in our lives. Mm-hmm. I'll, have to, I'll have to listen to that. There's so many resources out there. And I feel like if you just take a, a little nugget from each thing that you hear or read um, and kind of craft your own library of tools, 
And that's what it is. It's like, what tools, what tools are in our toolbox and when do we need to pull them out and having them available? Yeah, I did. Uh, actually, when I had, I went over the handlebars of my bike and my wow. triathlon days and jacked up my knee and back. And so then I did yoga for quite a long while because I had lost the mobility in my knee. And I learned a lot just about breathing. So that yoga practice. And now that I've had this like frozen shoulder thing going on. And when I go to the PT, like, you know, it doesn't feel good because they're trying to get the range of motion back and it's the shoulders frozen. So it's not moving the way it should, but I take that breathing that I learned right from injury, that one injury into like, okay, I could actually push it. She can push it a little further than I, my brain want pain wants her to because, and she know you know, like she's a very good PT. She's not going to push it too far, but, um, but if I breathe, I can actually get more out of this session. <laughs> um, so yeah, it's a, it's a whole circle. Um, did you, were you having uh, back problems at Cape Epic? Cause I know you were, you did that this year. Mm-hmm. I did on some stages, which was interesting, but I actually think that's where a lot of it came from because I, um, it was Cape Epic is an incredibly intense race where you're racing as hard as you can for eight days in a row. I mean, it's Cape and, Epic. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's amazing. It's such a great race. And then I came home, I stayed, my husband came over and we stayed for like nine days. And when I started training again, that was really when the back got, it had been getting better, better, better. And then after Cape Epic got worse. And I honestly think it was a combination of really hard racing and then also not taking care of yourself because you're in the middle of something like that. You're not taking the time to do the things that you need to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Keep yeah. Epic was amazing. Was that your first time racing it? It was my second. Okay. I did it in 2018 as well. Um, and which was a different experience because everyone got really sick. <laughs> this experience was, was, was po- so, it was so awesome. It was like, it was great. The team that we had assembled to go, over there with us in support and everything it was, it was phenomenal. Yeah. Who was there with Liv? So, uh, Crystal Anthony was my partner okay. and then Casey Armstrong and Sarah Hill raced as a second pair. And then, um, our support team was Liv- Liz Walker, who's our team manager and Paige Stewart as our mechanic. And then we had a physio from South Africa named, um, Kath. So yeah, it was a great, it was great. Yeah. I mean, there were like, of course, like some tears and, you know, but, but that's to be expected. I mean, um, I think it was, it was a phenomenal group that rose to the occasion when we needed each other. Yeah. To live your healthiest life possible, you need to understand what's going on inside. Inside Tracker takes a personalized approach to health and longevity from the most trusted and relevant source, your body. Inside Tracker was created by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, Tufts, and MIT. It provides personalized health analysis and clear recommendations, plus an action plan on how to live a longer, healthier life. Inside Tracker can also calculate your biological age, which is the rate you're aging compared to your chronological age, as well as ways to lower your biological age. The thing we love most about Inside Tracker is that they give you recommendations on things you can control to optimize your health like food, supplements, workouts, and other lifestyle choices. And did you know that you can use your HSA, HRA, and FSA to buy any Inside Tracker plan? 
which means you can purchase Inside Tracker using your tax-free dollars. Oh, and it gets better. For a limited time, you get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store when you sign up. So if you're ready to get a crystal clear picture of what's going on inside your body, along with the science-backed recommendations to optimize what's not working, visit InsideTracker.com slash feisty. That's InsideTracker.com slash feisty. So when did you start getting more into gravel or I know you still do a lot of mountain biking, but you also now have a gravel camp. So like, and you've done the Oregon trail probably every year, right? Cause it's in your backyard. So was that your impetus into gravel or was it like, well, I already train on this because I live in Bend or. Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. I feel like it was sort of a natural progression because I was racing cross and I was riding my cross bike on all of our gravel roads because the training was so great. And then we had a few races in Oregon that had gravel in them. They were road races, but they had large segments of gravel road races. Yeah. And um, actually Chad Sperry, who puts on Oregon trail, put on a number of, put on this race in the gorge Uh, was a stage race. And then it was a one day race and it had, it was a road race, but it had large segments of gravel. And so it was kind of this interesting progression. And then, there were some cool races in California that had gravel. And I think sort of like gravel racing in general, it was just sort of a organic, oh yeah, now we're going to do gravel. Um, and I tend to like the gravel races that have a little more mountain bikey feel. I like the technical, some more technical stuff. Um, but I just love the diversity of what gravel offers. Hence the name special blend gravel. Um, this idea that, it is such a blend of not only um, the different disciplines of cycling, but also no matter where you go in the country or the world, you're going to find gravel roads and they're all going to look different. And my definition of gravel in Bend is going to be different than your definition of gravel in Emporia. So it's this, it's sort of an equalizer um, in regards to you don't know what you're going to expect. And, um, and then different skill sets, depending on where you are and what the course looks like mm-hmm. can shine. So that and so special blend gravel camp is a camp that I started um, in the spring. It was an sold idea out that immediately, I, right? Sold out immediately. Yep. Um, it was an idea that I'd been ruminating on for a while, and then COVID happened, and, um, and then I realized that the idea of putting on a camp by myself was pretty big. And I was I was explaining my vision to so, to to Chadsbury, who puts on Oregon Trail. And he said, well, you want to, you want to go, you want to partner? Let's do it. And I said, okay, let's do it. So, um, the first camp was in April and it was in conjunction with the organ with, um, the gorge gravel grinder race. So we had two days of riding and then Sunday was the culmination of camp and also the race. Um, and I, initially was like, oh, this is going to be a one and done. We're going to do this. And it's going to be awesome. And then that will be the end of it. And what came out of that camp was there's such a demand. There's so much potential. There's so much community. Uh, we better do another one. <laughs> so we planned one, which is actually starting on the 9th of October. Uh, and we sold that one out straight away. Yeah. It doesn't surprise me because there's, well, one, just women's camps, they're harder to find, right? Like I know Unbound does some big women's camps. But also out here on the um, the Pacific Northwest, I found it even harder, to, especially to find women's specific stuff. Um, 
So uh, not as much in the mountain bike side, but on the gravel bike, gravel side for sure. So it, it doesn't surprise me at all. Cause I think there's a huge desire and need out here. Yeah. We wanted to design a camp that was for people like intermediate to advanced riding levels. So people who are already comfortable on their bike can do long rides, um, who really wanted to elevate their level of riding past the like learn to ride kind of camps and clinics. Um, and one of the other things that just came out of camp sort of unexpectedly was the camaraderie of the women. And then to see them over and over all these gravel races throughout the season and to see them develop relationships with each other, people who weren't friends are now like taking trips together and planning things for next year and um, creating, creating a place for that to happen was just, it blew my mind how motivating it was for me. And I like the saying inspiration flows both ways, because I think sometimes people will say to you, say to an athlete, Oh, you're so inspiring. And what I want to say is, no, you're the inspiring one, you know, that you're the one that took twice as long to complete that ride. You're, you know, it's like the inspiration, it, it, it just flows both ways. And I finished the you know, I, I talk to the athletes that are coming to camp, you're planning a camp, you're executing on the camp and it's a lot of work, but the return is so full. I just like, you feel, you finish one of those exhausted. And yet at the same time, you're so full because of the energy and excitement. So, yeah. No, but I love that. And I know that community is like a really important thing for you. And, um, it is for me too. And, and I do, I think like there's a big part of it like we know that women like to do things with other women, right? Like it's, it's, it's not that we can't go do things by ourselves. And some people do prefer that, but I think in general, you like to know you have a buddy there. Like we like to experience things together. And so um, when you make those connections and they're like, well, then let's all go do like the whole Oregon series, or let's go do this other adventure together. It just, it makes it a lot more fun, I think. Yeah. And it also raises confidence levels and pushes each other just a little more out. You know, it's like, if you have a buddy, you're willing to go a little further from your normal route, or you're willing to take a little more risk because you know, you have someone there beside you. Um, and that's, that's really powerful. Then you can do things, whether it be in a race or an ex- like just an adventure exploratory ride or whatever, like you do things that you didn't think that you could do or that you would even enjoy doing. And all of a sudden like, Oh man, this is rad. Um, yeah. It's great to have, it's always fun to have a buddy. It's always fun. <laughs> awesome. Well, it sounds like this is tapping into a passion. Is this something we're going to see more of from you in the future? Like, where do you see yourself? Where do you see, where do you see yourself going in the next few years with racing and community and all the things? Well, yeah. Um, community is really important to me. I think bringing people around together around shared passions and and, and moving through space is so important. I think we are healthier people physically, but also mentally when we're moving outside and being around awesome people who share values. Um, so that's a big question and something I'm <laughs> sort of uh, sorting through, um, but special blend gravel camps um, will continue. We have three dates on the calendar for 2023, um, which is really exciting. Uh, I will be racing next year. I, uh, and registered for the Rift, which um, I'm really excited about. Um, one that's been on my bucket list for a couple of years. So that will probably be one of the cornerstones um, of my season. Uh, and I haven't figured out the rest yet, but hopefully a little more mountain biking 
my 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 season this year was really mountain bike heavy in the first half, but there, I haven't done much um, in the second half of the season, and I miss it. So maybe a little more mountain biking, but I love gravel racing, and I think it's so welcoming, and the community to like connect with people um, is so much more vibrant than a lot of what we have in mountain biking. And really? that isn't something that can't change. I just feel like due to the mass of the size of events that gravel racing can allow, it changes the environment and culture. Um, so, uh, yeah. And I missed a little, a bunch of my mountain bike, my, my mountain bike races this year, um, because I was dealing with my back stuff. So anyway, yeah. Oh, are you racing next year for live doing gravel camp and maybe going to Kansas? I don't, maybe <laughs> we'll have to, we'll have to follow this, we'll follow up this conversation. Yes, yeah. for sure. I'm heading out to, um, Colorado tomorrow to do the Valhalla. Uh, oh, race, cool. Which, um, Mike McCormick's bringing back. So yeah, it looks really cool. I hope the weather holds. It could be a little bit gnarly, but a little dicey. Yeah. It's going to be beautiful. That's, that's why, like why I do not want to do the rift. Like I want to go to Iceland. I just, I can't get my head around the rift. They have, they have a clause that says 48 hours ahead. They're going to tell you what time it's actually going to start because of the storm. Do they still have two days? Like it could either be Saturday or Sunday. Yeah. They say they, they can, you can, they can switch it up to 24 hours. So yeah. yeah. Which is super smart. We'll just right? go hiking there, but, Christy. Yeah. I will go and do like, I just don't like that on my bike. No. We're going to stay for like a week or so after and, and do some foot sporting, foot sporting. Yeah. I would be into the foot sporting in Iceland, but um, um, uh, yeah. Well, if people want to follow you or if they want to find out how to get early access or find out when these uh, camps are opening for next year, what are the best places for them to go? Um, Instagram's probably where I am most active. Serena BG. Um, on Instagram, or you can send us a note, um, on specialblendgravelcamp.com or my website, which is just serenabishopgordon.com. Is that, was that by design? Mm, Potentially, maybe. maybe. (laughs) I just put that together. (laughs) I need some coffee, evidently. (laughs) We We have good coffee at Special Blend Gravel. It looks like it. I've seen pictures. Yeah, it looked like it was. I know. Yeah. I know. Maybe I'm going to get you know, that. There's behind. certain things that we prioritize. <laughs> yes. That's, a, that's important. should be one. Yeah. 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 I'm gonna get awesome. The, I'm, I'm going to get the scoop on the dates when we stop recording so I can see if I can make okay, it. This year. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I know you've got a busy week coming up, but we really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thanks for having me. You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.